0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. So this year... Um, kind of theme this year, the light of the world. Uh, Last week I was preaching and was talking about these lamps and how they're all different. You may like one or another. You may dislike them all. You may think they're ugly. You may think they're beautiful. But the light that they shine is all the same. And just like these lamps, Christ's light, God's light, gets to shine through us regardless of how we look, regardless of how attractive we are, regardless of what our background is, regardless of how expensive or cheap we feel. It's the same light of Christ that shines through us. And so this year, as we, as we examine what it is to be the light of the world, as Jesus told us we are in Matthew chapter 5, like we looked at last week, um, we want to spend this time getting to know Jesus, getting to know Jesus who is the light so that he can shine better through us. Because as we talked about before, To be the light of the world is simply to allow Christ to shine through us because he is the light that existed before the very creation of the world. And so that's kind of what we're going to be spending our time on this year is is really investing in our own spiritual lives and growth, investing in our relationship with Jesus. And that all begins with prayer. Prayer is the most important thing a Christian does, period, period. You can't be a Christian and not pray. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not pray. The great leader, the great commentator, Matthew Henry, said, you just as soon find a man who doesn't breathe air as a Christian who doesn't pray. It is the very lifeblood. It is the air we breathe. It is the central act that we do. It's, it's prayer that makes us followers of Jesus in the first place. You can't even come to Jesus without praying, without talking to God, without talking to Christ. Prayer is the central act of the Christian faith. Some would say that prayer is the Christian faith, that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to live a life of prayer. One one writer I was reading this week, Stanley Hauerwas, said that to be a Christian is to submit ourselves to authorities who will help us pray. First and foremost, to God himself and to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, who teaches us to pray. In fact, who prays with us, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans, who says he takes up the other end when we don't know what to pray, and prays with us and for us and through us, even as we don't know how to pray. So there's some encouragement for you. Because a lot of us come to prayer, a lot of us think about prayer, and and it's intimidating, and it's overwhelming, And the good news is that God is helping you to pray the whole time. (laughs) Even when you don't know how, when you feel insufficient for prayer, when you feel like you have no idea what to say or how to pray or what this prayer thing is, God is already there, ready and willing to help you pray to himself. And so this is something that we don't do alone. We don't do it by ourselves. We do it at minimum with the help of God himself and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that person of God who lives within every follower of Jesus. But we also do this as a community. And that's what brings us to our text today. We're here in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6 of Matthew. It's, we're, we're about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus begins this portion of his sermon by saying, don't practice your righteousness in front of people. Don't do it in order to be praised. And then he goes on in chapter 6 to list three ways, three righteous practices that people do and make a public show of them in order to be seen and praised. And he starts with almsgiving, with giving to the poor. And then he goes to prayer, and then he goes to fasting. Now, these three activities were central to the Jewish life, still are today. They are central to the practice of righteousness that God has called his people to. Faithful Jewish people in the days of Jesus prayed five times a day, once at rising, once in the evening, and then three times throughout the day, 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And the idea was that when that time came to pray, Whatever you were doing, you stopped right then and there, and you stood and you faced east toward the temple or west or whatever the direction of the temple was for you. You faced toward the temple and you prayed to God at these three times during the day, no matter what you were doing. Fasting was a regular practice happening one or two days a week. Wednesday and Friday, generally, were the fasting days. We know that Jesus' followers, his disciples fasted Regularly. We know that John the Baptist followers fasted regularly. It was a regular practice. And of course giving, almsgiving, caring for the poor and giving to those in need was a central practice as well. You would go to the temple and you would give your offering there, but you would also give to those who are in need, usually through the temple or through some agent or agency so that it's used wisely but you would regularly give. And Jesus comes to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples, all of whom are local boys, all of whom are Jewish. There are women among his disciples too, but I'm talking about the 12 apostles right here. These are all local Jewish people. And so Jesus assumes that as they follow him, they're going to continue these three practices, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. Now, In a while, we're going to get back to whether we should be doing these things too. But let's just say right now, Jesus takes it for granted that his followers will give to those in need, that they will be in regular prayer, continuing the five prayers a day, and that they will fast regularly. And so here we come to his instruction on prayer. And he starts off by saying, whenever you pray, there's that assumption that assumption that you're going to continue to pray. Whenever you pray, don't do it like those who do it to be seen. Now, some of the religious leaders, and some of the people who really wanted you to think that they were really pious and really righteous, they would position themselves at the prayer times in the most public space they could. This isn't just people randomly walking down the street praying out loud. I think we, we kind of miss the rhythm and the structure of life for Jesus because most of our lives are not that well structured. We have our work times, and that's pretty much it. We have the events we go to and the work structure, but we don't generally have a daily rhythm. That's another thing that we're going to be working on this year as a community. But most of us don't have a daily rhythm, so we're disconnected from the world in which Jesus lived where everybody had a daily rhythm. And those daily rhythms are largely structured around the prayer times. If you're a faithful Jew, if you're an observant Jew, your day is structured around the times of the temple. So those prayers when you first wake up, the prayer at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and then when you go to bed. And so the really pious people... These these people who really wanted you to think that they were super righteous, they would make sure, hey, it's noon, noon is coming up, I need to be on that corner so that when prayer time happens, everyone can see how righteous I am. And so they would find themselves a spot, I'm just kind of, you know, arrange it so they're walking along in the city, and then that noon prayer bell rings, and they go, oh, oh, it's prayer time, oh my, where's the temple? Okay, there's the temple. And would make a big show of it as much as they could so that everybody in the city, everybody who was around them would look at them and go, Oh my goodness, you're so amazing. I mean, your prayer life isn't I wish I was that devout. Now, the really crazy thing is if you're a faithful Jew, you're supposed to pray at all these times, but not everybody did. And so as these really pious people are standing on the corners, praying their prayer, other faithful Jews are just walking by. It's prayer time and they're going about their business because they got to get somewhere. They're not stopping. So the very act of stopping initially gets you the attention and then these guys go, Oh, holy God, right? And begin their prayer. These are all recited prayers. Everybody knows them, but you can embellish them. You can add words to them, and so that's what these pious people will do. They'll stand there and they'll they'll pray the normal prayer, which always begins "Barukatadunayalahenmerkaolam," blessed are you, O God, our Lord, King of the Universe, and then you would continue on with your prayer, and they would add words to it, and they would embellish their their words, and they would make they would use the floweriest language they can in Latin. It's called florilegia. They would just add all of this flowery language to their prayer and embellish it as much as they could to make it nice and pretty for everybody so that everybody on the street passing by is like, oh man, I'm not that holy. Oh, I just I wish I could be that holy, but i, I got to go sell a donkey. I wish I could be that holy, but i I got to get somewhere. And so I can't stop like that guy. This was the practice of the people who really wanted you to think they were super righteous. And Jesus says, in doing this, when these people do this, they they position themselves so they're in the most public place they can be at the prayer times, and then they add all this flowery language to their prayers. In doing this, and in getting the praise and honor of all the people who say, oh, I wish I could be that holy, oh, you're so so wonderful, they've already gotten their reward. That these guys are just performing for God. But they're not even really performing for God, they're performing for people. Jesus is saying, you've turned prayer, which ought to be the most selfless thing we do, into an occasion for praise for yourself. And here's the crazy irony of this. The the wild irony of praying in order to get a personal attention, in order to get praise from me, is that when I am praying, who am I talking to? I'm talking to God. God. When I pray, I have the ear of the king of heaven. When I pray, I have the ear of the creator of the universe. When I pray, God listens. And I'm worried about what the people around me think of me. I'm trying to get the praise and adoration of mere mortals. Of people who I don't even think are as righteous as I am. When I've got the attention of God. How dumb is that? I mean, really? How megalomaniacal do you have to be to want all the attention from the people of the world when God Himself bends His ear to listen when you pray? It doesn't matter what they think of you. It doesn't matter if people think you're all holy and righteous and wonderful because you can pray with these pretty words. We pray for God, not for the attention of people. We pray for God's attention, for the audience of one, the only audience that matters when we pray. It doesn't matter what people think of us. Now, we got a problem here, though, because Jesus is addressing his time and place, his culture, right? We don't live in that place. We don't have prayer bells that ring three times a day. Nobody out there on the street cares if you stop and pray. In fact, if you stop and pray, they're not going to think you're like holy and righteous. They're going to think you're nuts. If you stop in the middle of the street and you raise your arms up and you start praying in all these big flowery words... We don't live in this time and place where people are going to think that you're righteous, where you can pray for attention, except in certain circles and in certain places. Now, I've been part of Christian communities my entire life. I've been part of of ministry communities. I've, I've worked in all kinds of different things. Now, I have met these people who pray for attention. I have met the sermon prayer people. I have been that person. I am ashamed to admit But that only works in a tiny sliver of the places you'll ever go. And so the the temptation for us is not the same as it was for them. But the good news is that Jesus is not just talking about this specific practice of getting attention when you pray. What Jesus is warning his followers against here is not necessarily just this, because all of us in this room could say, I'm not really guilty of that. If I'm guilty of anything, it's probably not praying. It certainly isn't of being too prayerful in public. If I ask many people in this room to pray in public, most of you would shrink back. And I don't blame you for that. I get it. That's, I'm, no judgment here. But if if we have a temptation around prayer, it's not this. So what is Jesus getting at then? He's warning us not to make prayer a self-centered exercise. He's warning us not to go to prayer solely for ourselves. He's warning us against what I'm sure many of you have heard, and some of you may have even told other people, that prayer is mainly about you and your heart. That prayer is mainly about changing my heart. It's mainly about affecting me. That is anti-biblical. It is not in line. With scriptures teaching on prayer. When we pray, we pray to God. We pray to the only one who has the ability to do anything about most of the circumstances of the world. All those things that we can't address, all those things we can't fix, all those things that we on our own can't deal with, when we pray, we take them to the one who can. When we pray, we honor God with our lips and our hearts. Now, we do get changed through prayer. We are transformed through prayer. We do become more like Jesus through prayer, but that is not our aim when we pray. That is an effect of prayer. That is a very good thing that happens through prayer. And it is something we should want. But it's not our motivation for praying. Our motivation for praying ought to be to honor God with our lives and to bring before Him all those things of the world that we can't change, but we know need to be changed when we actually get into the text of the prayer beginning next week, we're going to see that this prayer is radically God-centered. The ideal for the Christian life is that we would be radically God-centered. And through centering our lives on God, centering our lives on Jesus, we are thereby transformed into his image. We pray because we love God. Think about it this way. If you're married or you've been in any significant romantic relationship, or you've just got really good friends who you love to hang out with. Do you spend time with them and talk with them mainly because it affects you? Do you love them and converse with them and spend time with them and hang out with them mainly because it makes you a better person or it changes how you see the world? If you're in a real loving relationship, you want to spend time with people just because they're there. Just because they are. Not for necessarily how it affects you. We're not mercenary in our relationships with people. Some of us are, and we need to work on that. But in our most loving relationships, we're not mercenary. We're not just in it for what we can get out of it. In fact, you say, if you're in a relationship just for what you can get out of it, you're making it a toxic relationship. We're in these relationships because we love these people, because we want to spend time with them, because we want to be with them. And we can take this to the extreme and say, if you're a parent, you really know what this means. Because when your baby comes into the world, when your kid comes into the world, they offer you nothing. I mean, babies are little leeches. They take and they take and they take and they take and they take. And we give, 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 and we we do it without begrudging. We might complain about being tired, we might complain about not having time to do the things that we used to do. But we don't really mean that we don't love our kid. We don't really mean that we don't want to give to them. Because when you when you're holding that child, when you're holding that baby in your arms, all you want to do is give it your life. All you want to do for your kid is give it everything. Why? They can't do anything for you. They may make you feel good right up until the moment they puke on your shirt. But we give to our children and we love our children because they're our kids. Just because they are. And in our most pure and loving relationships, that's why we're there. That's why we show up. Just because they are. And we love them. And we give and we care and we pour ourselves into those relationships, not primarily for what we get out of them, but just to love. That's what God wants with us. Too many Christians have treated God like he's this cosmic gumball machine that will just give you the baubles of the world if you pray the right prayer and you do the right stuff. Or that God is just a means to an end to escape hell, if you grew up in certain evangelical traditions. That God is primarily just there to escape the bad stuff of the world. And so God becomes this ticket out. When God is there, and really, what God wants from you is just you. And what he wants you to want is just him. That's it. God just wants a relationship with us, and he wants us to want him for his sake, just because he is, because he's there, because he made us, because he loves us. Not so much for what we can get. Now, as we grow in relationship, we grow. Those relationships that you have where You love and you give just because the person's there, because you love them, not for what you can get out of them. Inevitably, those relationships transform you. Being a parent changes you radically. Being married changes you radically. Spending time and building in deep friend relationships change you. All of our relationships inevitably change us. Just as our relationship with God will inevitably change us. It'll make us more like Jesus. It'll make us more like we were always intended to be. It'll make us into the people that God desperately wants us to be. It's true that God loves us as we are. It's true that he takes us as we are. But as we get to know him, he will change us for the better. We dare not step into our relationship with God, assuming that everything with me is just fine the way it is. If we do that, we've missed the gospel we've missed the good news of Jesus. If we come into our relationship with God assuming I'm fine just as I am, God, the way that you made me, we use that phrase and it doesn't mean what we think it means. We assume that the way we were born and the way that we structured and the way that we think is all okay. I'm perfect just as I am. I'm wonderful just as I am. When the fact is that we're all broken and it only takes five minutes of honest self-reflection to realize there are things about me that really desperately need to change. The only path toward that change is building a relationship with the God who loves me. I want him for his sake, and as I get to know him, he transforms me into his image. That's how this relationship works. That's why prayer is at the heart of the Christian life. That's why we dare not neglect praying regularly to our God. And that's why Jesus gives us a model prayer right here. I want to challenge you in the coming week, just in the coming week, to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning when you wake up. Write it down, copy it down, I'll email it to you, I'll text it to you, whatever you want. A lot of us have it memorized in one form or another. Yes, it doesn't matter what form you pray it in, okay? Whether you're praying in the King James or the ESV or the CSB or the NIV or the message, whatever, just pray it. I want to challenge you to pray the Lord's Prayer every single morning this week. When you wake up, first thing, just pray it. Pray it in the shower. And then anytime it comes to your mind throughout the day, I'm not asking you to like schedule 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. So whenever it comes to your mind throughout the day, pray it. But start the day that way. Start the day with this model prayer. A lot of us get intimidated by prayer. We get afraid of prayer because we don't know the words to use. We don't know the things to say. And that's okay. And a lot of people will tell you, well, just talk to God conversationally. And I understand why that doesn't work for some people. I get it. You can't see God. We can't smell God. We can't give him a physical hug. Like It's hard to imagine that. And people will give you all kinds of tools, and we'll talk about those tools later on. But for now, let's stick with the prayer that Jesus gave us. Because I don't see how we can improve on that. And so for this week, every morning, upon waking, pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Pray it slowly. Let the words sink over you. We begin with these model prayers. When Jesus said, whenever you pray, and he was talking about those five prayers that the faithful Jew would pray every day, those were model prayers. They weren't spontaneous prayers. They were prayers that were given to the people that were memorized to pray. A lot of us are afraid of using memorized prayer because we're afraid that it'll become rote and routine and meaningless to us. But just try it, okay? Just give it a shot. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be spending more time in this prayer. We're going to be spending more time in this prayer that Jesus gave us, this model that he gave us for prayer. And we're going to look at how it directs our attention to God and to the world around us and how it places everything into his hands. But Jesus has just warned us about not making prayer self-centered. And if we want to be people who don't make our prayers self-centered, then we have to approach prayer with humility and trust. And so I titled this sermon, The Posture of Prayer. I've talked a lot about prayer so far. I haven't talked about the posture of it. I'm not talking about whether you stand or you sit or you lay down or you kneel or whatever. By the way, physical posture only matters to the extent that it helps you concentrate on your prayer whether your eyes are open or closed, only matters to the extent that it helps you to concentrate on your prayer. Nothing else matters in prayer. Whether you're kneeling, whether you're laying down, whether you're standing up. In Jesus' day, it was not common to kneel and close your eyes and put your hands together. That came about hundreds of years later. And so if anybody tells you there's like one holy posture for prayer, they don't know what they're talking about. In Jesus' day, people stood, eyes open, arms raised to pray. Even if you went into like the supply closet of your house, you would stand there, arms raised, facing toward the temple to pray. And so the posture, your physical posture doesn't matter. What does matter is the posture of your heart. While our physical need doesn't have to be knelt, our heart must be knelt to our sovereign God, to our good God. We must bow in humility, knowing who God is and who we are in relation to him. Knowing that God is the creator, God is the maker, God is the one who rules over everything. And we are submitting to him when we pray. But also knowing that we are beloved children of God who have been called into his presence and have been given the honor of speaking directly to him. And so we come with a great humility, knowing who's in charge and who we're approaching. And we come with trust if we don't want to be people who babble on in prayer and lecture God and tell God what he needs to do, we have to trust that he knows and he'll do the right thing no matter what. Humility and trust. We come to prayer with those. And so as we look more into this prayer, we're going to be seeing how from the very beginning, the way that Jesus has modeled this prayer, it moves us into humility and trust. It's founded upon. Humility and trust in our good God. And so pray that prayer this week. Allow yourself to be carried into humility and trust in your God. To know who you're talking to and who God calls you. And to trust that God already knows the needs of your heart before you ever come to him. God already knows everything that you're going to bring to him before You come, but he still calls you to come because he still wants to have a conversation with you. This week, upon waking, say this prayer. And so I'm going to invite you to join me now in the Lord's Prayer. It's on the screen. And I would suggest you actually read along because we all know a different version. (laughs) Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.